Dude. Hey, man, you all right? I want to deal with all that Brian De Palma stuff last week. Phil, that, that wasn't Brian De Palma. What? Dude, there's someone you have to meet. His name is Mangrove, and he is a termite. Uh, dude, what are you talking about? Uh, dude, uh, here, here. Mangrove, come here. Mm, sir, I understand this is a terrible breach in protocol. I beg you to hear our plea. I am Mathazar, and we are Thermians from the Klaatu Nebula. Our people are being systematically hunted and slaughtered by Rathasaras of Fatakray. We are to meet in negotiation. However, our efforts in this regard have been disastrous. Please, Patrol Sinecas, you are our last hope. What? A what? Phil, yeah, like I said, that wasn't Brian De Palma, and it wasn't a time machine that landed in my backyard last week. It was a spaceship, and it was Mangrove here. He made himself look like Brian De Palma because he thought it would be someone that I would trust. Why would you trust Brian De Palma? Dude, I have no clue. (laughs) Anyway, Mangrove (laughs) here and his termites are fan of the podcast, apparently, and uh, they need us to help appease this reptilian dude named Saris. Oh, John, you really need to stop going down these Reddit rabbit holes. Phil, man, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, man. I'm absolutely serious. Okay, well, what do we need to do? Well, apparently Mangrove just needs us to talk about Galaxy Quest on the podcast this week. It's Saris's favorite movie, and the termites here told him about our podcast and that we're the best people for the job. Isn't that right, Mangrove? <laughs> Wow. Okay, then. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. We are here. Uh, I mean, normally I wouldn't allow this podcast to be uh you know subject to us being abducted by aliens and forced to do episodes on their behalf but i felt really bad for this group of people so we are here today so welcome to the pot charles seneca presented by the prince charles cinema this is your host jonathan foster and yeah i am here with uh i don't know my little uh what are you, Phil? Are you a little alien boy? He's my little alien boy, Phil. What are you this week? I'm like a, I'm like a little piece of space junk that like attached itself to the ship. <laughs> yeah, you're just <laughs> along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. What's going um, on, Phil? Uh, hopefully, they don't mind uh, Saris and uh, these. I don't know, termites, mangrove, whatever. Did did the termite think uh, the podcast is like real? I think they, you know, I think they do, man. I don't know. I mean, they, I don't know what it is. Like, I can't even imagine like how they even heard this podcast, but um, or even what their favorite episode was. I mean, I did hear him saying something about like a horse head a couple of times. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I heard something about apple chart, apple something charts, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, do. but I mean, apparently uh, they've heard it, so we have to talk about a film today. <laughs> but uh, anyway, how are you doing, 
God damn. <laughs> I'm all right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's exciting, exciting things are happening on my side of the Skype call because I got a Wi-Fi boost. Oh, shit. For the house. Oh, man. So now I can move the shit all around the bedroom and you're not freezing up. Yeah, man. You're not, you know, cracking up. You're there. <laughs> I hear you. I see you. And you can probably hear boy tap, tap, tap in everywhere. Yeah, a little bit. I go, I've been, just sit I've down. been seeing boy in your uh, Instagram stories and they've been really, really cute. Uh, between you and Dusty, um, teaching him how to do we're, tricks. We're trying. Time. It's really cute. We're, we're really trying. With the, he's got like a good handful down. Yeah. But we're, we're moving on to more difficult stuff and he's just, just acting dumb. You know, he does that thing, he looks up and like the cogs are turning, but he had no idea what you're saying. Yeah. Or just <laughs> pretending like he had no idea what you're saying, just so you give him a treat. Uh, um, smart. But that that that's the biggest thing to happen to me this week. Um, well, that's good. You? I mean, for the listeners out there, you don't know because I edit out a lot of the stuff uh, <laughs> of us struggling sometimes <laughs> for many different reasons. But yeah, uh, last week definitely was uh, your Wi-Fi was all over the place and we were struggling yeah, really bad in uh, our like legit like uh very un- unprepared episode last week which ended up being really good i, I, I enjoyed it the uh, i enjoyed it the people out there seem to enjoy it as well i guess i don't know it it got a lot of listens a lot of downloads that was cool a lot of likes um and yeah, yeah. our boy alex winter did us a solid and retweeted a tweet about it and uh yeah that kind of blew up a little bit but for some reason, it didn't chart. So I don't really understand how the whole charting thing works. But if you want to help us out, you can go over to Apple Podcasts and you can uh, leave us a rating or review. Maybe that'll trick the algorithm. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's all mathematics, you know? Anyway, yeah, I'm all right, man. I'm all good over here. I'm prepping for my gig that's tomorrow night. So it doesn't really matter if I say this because it's already happened. How was it? And do you ask? Uh, it was... <laughs> maybe good hey because uh, <laughs> yeah it would have passed by the time this episode goes out should have been there <laughs> oh yeah actually you know what though it is a stream that is recorded so i can say that you can go and listen to it after the fact because it will be available at hotbox live so you can hear me like play my music if you want to if you don't i don't it's fine fine whatever you want to do but hey let's get a pcc update it's been a couple weeks since we've had one of these so let's do it uh lff tickets went on sale this past monday and boy did people snap up those tickets films like pixar's soul francis mcdormand's new film nomadland and the closing night film ammonite sold out like pretty much immediately and ammonite went on sale and sold out before i even sent the email out to people to tell them that LFF was on sale. So Jesus. They were um, waiting for it. We still have some tickets left for the films. Like uh, there's a film called Time that's supposed to be really good. Uh, it's a documentary about a guy who was imprisoned with his wife. And his wife, I think, had gotten out like early. And it was sort of her story of having to deal with him being locked up um, for a crime they committed like years and years ago and she got out but he was still in prison it looks really good um there's also riz ahmed's mogul mowgli there's shirley starring elizabeth moss as uh novelist shirley jackson 
And there's the Spike Lee directed David Burns American Utopia that is looking amazing. There's still a few tickets left for that, so get your tickets at PrinceCharlesCinema.com. On the main page, there's an LFF banner that will take you to a season page where all the films are listed. But you should book now before it's too late, because remember, we are operating at reduced capacity, so shows are selling out much quicker than normal. Also, we've got returning from a new 4K restoration from the 23rd of October, we have Katsuhiro Otomo's legendary anime, Akira. One of my faves. Tickets are already flying out the door for this one. We already had to add a couple of new screenings for it, so get your tickets. Uh, Also, Sofia Coppola is back with a brand new film starring Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. It's on the rocks. Uh, Looks great. Uh, Paul, shout out Paul, our programmer, has already seen it. He said it's really, really good. Um, And it will be screening here over two weeks in our first week back from Friday the 16th of October. You can also double up, I believe, on one of the days where we're showing Lost in Translation on the same day, like right before it. So you can double up, watch Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation with Bill Murray. And then Own the Rocks with Bill Murray, also directed by Sofia Coppola. And tickets are on sale <laughs> at PrinceCharlesCinema.com for that. Yeah. You got some good news stuff coming up. Looking forward to it. That's a lot of stuff. How hyped are you, Phil? It's almost time. Like, we're so close to uh, cinema reopening. I'm, I'm hyped. <laughs> I'm hyped. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm mad hyped to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> this fantasy that you're living in. It's like a reality yeah. now. Like, ah, oh, it's happening. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know what it's going to be like. So we'll just fucking see. <laughs> yeah. I can't really. I have. I can't really feel any two ways about it yet. But I'm glad we're opening. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like, um, I probably won't be back at the actual cinema. Like I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast already. Like, you know, when we first reopened, just because social distancing needs and all that, and I can do my job from home. So, like, I, you know, just be safer, I guess, for me not to have to mingle out and everything. And uh, anyway, I'll be looking to you to see how things are really going week to week, I guess. <laughs> uh, seeing how things are going over at the cinema. You can be our correspondent, you know, uh, wartime correspondent. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know how things are going. Live from behind the glass partition, <laughs> it's Phil. How's it going, Phil? Could you remove your several masks? Oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> Policy. Yeah. Well, we don't know what the shape of the podcast is going to take in the next couple of weeks. I mean, it's probably just going to start morphing back a little by little back to like, hey, what's on at the program at the Prince Charles Cinema? But, you know, this week we're doing a little something different. It's one of the last weeks we can possibly, you know, uh, do something quite different. And that is as you know, we were requested by, you know, some aliens from outer space to talk about Galaxy Quest. And, uh, you know, it feels kind of fitting to jump on board of this weird uh, film about people who go to space to get away from Earth. Because sometimes you, you kind of wish you can get away from you this do that. weird world that we live in now. But anyway, let's do it, yeah. Phil. Let's get into the Meat and potatoes of this podcast with Galaxy Quest. In the far reaches of the galaxy, 
A civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. You will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now, Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit your ass down? You wanna drive this to... Acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill him. We'll go for the mouth, the throw, his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket that not any vulnerable spots. The stars of a 1980s sci-fi show, now eking out a living through reruns and sci-fi conventions, are beamed aboard an alien spacecraft. Believing the cast's heroic on-screen dramas are historical documents of real-life adventures, a band of aliens turn to the cast members for help in their quest to overcome an oppressive regime in their solar system. <laughs> Sounds familiar, Phil. Like, really familiar. Like, yeah. something that just actually happened to us. Hmm. Huh. It's the 1999 sci-fi comedy Galaxy Quest, directed by Dean Parasot. And uh, some would say it's one of the greatest Star Trek films of all time. <laughs> I would say it is yeah, the greatest Star Trek film of all time. Yeah, so give us yeah. hot takes out the gate. Hot takes. Hot takes out the gate. Galaxy Quest, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm annoyed nobody like came at me for the hot take last time. Mm-hmm. I'll just uh, throw in shade left and right. I don't know if anyone actually listens to this podcast anymore. <laughs> 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 Apart from the termite. Yeah, throwing shade at myself. I feel like it's very yeah. it's <laughs> apropos to do this it's episode, dude, because like I mean, we're I feel like I am a struggling actor right now who uh is lost <laughs> in well, a struggling podcaster, lost in this weird world of uh of used to be fame listening back on old episodes and just feeling like it was a good grand old time and then you know and now we're shadows of our former selves. Um, and we're here today talking Great. about <laughs> no, sorry uh, Galaxy Quest what's your thoughts okay, depending on your point of view this is either it's all downhill from here or it can only get better uh, oh man Galaxy Quest is, um, it's a movie hot take <laughs> um, no I'll do it again Galaxy Quest is uh, in the weird one it's a weird movie. I don't remember how I came upon it. Yeah, I was going to ask when you first saw it. I feel like it's one of those movies I picked up, like, 
you know, after school, I would go and hang out in like, like, you know, DVD stores and just look at movies and shows and I'd pick up random things. And that's how I got into like Futurama and mm-hmm. shit like that. And I'm, I think I picked it up like that just cause I liked Tim Allen. Yeah. And I, and I like Tim Allen was like my TV dad growing up, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, I, I loved home improvement. Mm-hmm. I'm big into that show. And he was in Santa Claus, mm-hmm. which is like, might be my favorite Christmas Dude, movie. Me too, man. Second up. I love it. I think it's underrated. I mean, second maybe only to like It's a Wonderful Life. You know, Santa Claus plays last year. It played last year in our Christmas program, and that was partly because of me. I was just like, dude, that film rules. And it actually sold pretty well. Thank so, you. Hey. I went to see it. I remember. <laughs> I dragged Dusty to see it, and she liked it. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was in that. He was in Toy Story, obviously. Yeah. Um, but Another one I was just talking to Dusty about this because I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but you might have. Um, have you ever seen Jungle to Jungle? Oh, yes, dude. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Jungle to Jungle is a banger. Yeah, it's, it's a really great good. movie. Crazy underrated. And it's annoying because every time I try and explain what it is to someone, they're like, oh, that sounds bad. Yeah. Like it sounds it's like not really good, problematic. But it's great. It's, it's actually yeah. really good. <laughs> it's really funny. Tim Allen is mine short. Great. Yeah, I, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I definitely tr- I remember tweeting about this and I remember it kind of got like this really funny sort of like reaction from people. But like my dad, I got up really early. It was my birthday and I was so excited. And uh, the first thing I saw when I got up was just like a note from my dad who came over to my house. I'm pretty sure he and my mom were separated at this point. And he like came over to my house mm-hmm. and left like a birthday card or a note or something just saying, oh, I had to go to work. But here's like your birthday present and it was like a tamagotchi and a vhs like <laughs> clamshell case uh jungle to jungle <laughs> vhs nice. and I was like yeah great no i very much had the same sort of uh, introduction to this movie as you with a slight twist uh but like tim allen was my gateway to this film because i was a really big tim allen fan growing up obviously like you know, being a 90s kid growing up watching Home Improvement, I've made a few Home Improvement jokes, like particularly because I'm pretty sure in our uh, Too Fast, Too Furious episode, I was joking about it because one of the oldest son was in in the film. But anyway, yeah, if you want to hear yeah, those, yeah, go, yeah, go to patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. <laughs> We're doing all these uh, Fast and the Furious movies over there. You know, support the podcast. We can do more bonus episodes. <laughs> anyway uh yeah so i was a big fan of tim allen i loved the santa claus loved jungle to jungle home improvement all that and then yeah this film came out i remember it coming out in cinemas and like going to see it in theaters and i i loved it like as a kid it was it's funny it's one of those weird things that i can't remember the last time i actually saw it before i watched it Mm -hmm. yesterday in prep for this episode um because i just never got to we've shown it a few times at the cinema you know, it's one of these things that's just like popular at the cinema. And I never really knew that it w- it was so popular. Like, that's the thing with the Prince Child. I don't realize all these movies are popular until I started working there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't believe you actually screamed Galaxy Quest. I thought only yeah. I knew about this movie, this random movie I picked up on DVD. I've never heard anyone else <laughs> talk about it. But you realize there's an audience for yeah. it, obviously. Like, I, I remember it being like a big film coming out, and I went to see it at cinemas and in the cinema, and I was just like, 
I was hyped for it and I loved it when I saw it, but like it was sort of that was it. Like, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure when I saw it next. I maybe saw it one other time, like later on on TV or something. It really didn't sink in that it was even a cult film to me until I saw that we were shown it. And then I saw the buzz around it from people. And we'll get into that a little bit. So some of the information for this week's episode was obtained by a great documentary that Phil actually turned me on to called Never Surrender, a Galaxy Quest documentary. It was released last year in support of the 20th anniversary of Galaxy Quest. We will probably reference this a bit throughout the episode So if you're a fan of the film or you're just a fan of good documentaries, you should definitely seek this documentary out. Once again, it's called Never Surrender. It's a solid watch. But as you may remember from last week's episode, and this is, uh, if you know, maybe a hint into like how our brains actually work on this podcast, because, uh, (laughs) you know, there's no such things as aliens from Clatoon and Nebular or whatever it was uh, coming to our podcast to abduct us. This is uh, purely because Dean Parasot directed Bill and Ted Face the Music and it was just a mere mention of Galaxy Quest in that episode that got us excited to talk about the film. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I did, kid. You're giving the game away, John. People are going to listen to this and be like, oh shit, anyone can start a podcast. <laughs> That's not what we want. We don't want more fucking competition. (laughs) Anyone can start a podcast. You could do it. I can do it. I did do it. You can do it. We're doing it now. (laughs) Dean Parasite, though, originally wasn't going to be the director of this movie, though. Oh, my. Oh. Uh, The film actually originated from a spec script by David Howard titled Captain Starshine, which is kind of a cool name. (laughs) Kind of weird, but kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah. Howard got the idea while at an IMAX presentation where one of the trailers for an upcoming film called Americans in Space was narrated by Star Trek's Leonard Nimoy. And he got to thinking about how Star Trek actors had become pigeonholed in these roles since the uh, cancellation of Star Trek. And he just got the idea, like, what if real aliens came to Earth seeking help from these TV stars? Which is a great idea. And producer Mark Johnson, who had a deal with DreamWorks, got hold of the script. And though he hated it, he loved the idea of the film. (laughs) So he purchased the script and hired uh, writer Robert Gordon to craft it into Galaxy Quest. So Gordon was a fan of Star Trek and he was a bit hesitant uh, to take on the film at first. So he initially turned it down. He just thought like it could either work or it could just bomb. <laughs> this could be bad. <laughs> he started to get more confident and stuff when he was talking with some of the producers and stuff about the idea. And when he worked on the script, he started to add in a lot of the humorous elements you find in the story, like the ship scraping the side of the space dock when uh, Tommy actually oh, yeah. has to drive the <laughs> ship for the first time. And then also some more of the heartfelt moments like, uh, Jason Nesmith having to confess to the Thermians that he was just an actor. Yeah, after he finished the script, it, it was immediately green, greenlit by DreamWorks in 1998. And they hired Harold Ramis to direct the film. <laughs> That's an interesting pairing. Yeah, it was due to his previous experience in comedies, and he was supposed to helm this ship. Um, but yeah, there's an interesting bit from the documentary that explains the whole breakdown of how he left the picture and he left basically because the producers hired Tim Allen 
as Jason Nesmith, a.k.a. Commander Peter Quincy Taggart. Taggart, Taggart, Taggart. <laughs> so like we mentioned, Alan was a big star at the time. He was coming off the success of his hit TV show, Home Improvement, which had just been, uh, I guess, canceled or ended, whatever, uh, in 1999. And he's known for portraying the voice of Buzz Lightyear of Star Command in uh, Toy Story and also starring in the Santa Claus. So Ramis was really skeptical of working with Tim Allen as he felt that he had previously failed to get the best out of Robin Williams in 1986's Club Paradise and thought it would be the same situation with Tim Allen, which is like a really weird thing. I mean, it was kind of interesting how they were talking about Harold Ramis in this, like, because... I love Harold Ramis. <laughs> We've talked about how yeah, much we too. love Harold Ramis. Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, yeah. yeah. And he's he's great. Like he's a really, really fun director. But the idea seemed like that this was going to be a little bit more of a goofy film. I mean, Tim Allen said that in the version that of the film that was pitched to him by Harold Ramis and Katzenberg from uh, DreamWorks that it was gonna be more like space balls. And that they wanted an action star to do comedy rather than a comedian to do an action film. And he was like already meeting with them thinking he had the role. And he was like, oh, so I don't have the part already. <laughs> which, yeah, so what are we doing? Yeah, which like uh-huh. made them go. So Eventually, Harold Ramis like was like, "Well, yeah, I mean, we're still looking at some other people." We, were, I was know, thinking and, maybe Bill Murray. Yeah, <laughs> Bill Murray was thrown in. There was Alec Baldwin. He really wanted for the role, but Alec Baldwin turned it down. And they were also considering Steve Martin and Kevin Klein for the role. But I don't know. It's yeah. really weird this whole action thing because it didn't seem like there was many names that were really thrown in there. The one thing that the uh, documentary did uh, mention was that like people like Bruce Willis and Mel Gibson were considered. Which yeah, yeah. Mel Gibson. I mean, maybe at the time, maybe I don't know. I could buy it. He can do both. Yeah. Lethal Weapon. You know. Yeah. He can do both. And then Bruce Willis. I mean, I don't think he would be as likable. Like definitely yeah. not. Like Bruce Willis, I'm not saying he's not likable. I'm just saying this character. I don't know. I don't know because Bruce Willis is so serious, and you can see like I don't know. I absolutely love The Fifth Element, and that's probably like the closest you're gonna get to like that style of like sci-fi character in this film. But I just don't think it would work for this sort of likable goofball sort of role. Like. <laughs> I don't think it worked. No, Tim Allen's perfect for yeah, it. It's absolutely. weird that I, I, all of all those names, I can't really imagine anyone else doing it. Yeah. And they have movies. Yeah. Tim Allen doesn't have enough, like, like leading man sort of stuff. Yeah, it's really weird. He's good. He's like, he's like really underrated. And I know like nowadays, a lot of it has to do with like probably age, like why you don't see him, even though men have like, you know, more of a shelf life in Hollywood than women. You know, like uh, when it comes to like, sure. you know, when you yeah, get a bit older, like which we joked about on this podcast before. But but yeah, Tim Allen, like, you know, you, if you see him these days, it's just like, oh, there's another, you know, Toy Story film out or something. And he's just like, yeah, or, another old white guy on TV. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I mean, even like old hogs or wild hogs or whatever. That was like, that was like 2007. Yeah. That's so long ago now. So I'm surprised uh, you haven't done that over on Patreon. That just 
scream like you and Ari. Oh. <laughs> like Wild Hog. It's a 2007 film. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Breadcrumbs, man. That's what I'm telling you. Breadcrumbs. All sorts of ideas. All I. All <laughs> it's all network. coming together. It's all coming together, that network. The studio basically was just like, yep, Tim Allen. We want Tim Allen to be in this film. Uh, they insisted on Tim Allen and, you know, Harold Ramis was like, yeah, I'm out. He left the project because uh, he felt like he just really couldn't have the casting he wanted, which fair enough. I mean, it is a bit like, you know, it's a bit weird with directors. And we talked about this a little bit where they just don't seem to have their way with the picture and their idea of how they see it and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's probably the best because, you know, Tim Allen's amazing in this. You know, he just really <laughs> like shows a good side that you just aren't used to seeing, you know, from him mm-hmm. a little bit more dramatic at times. Um, but yeah, like when Harold Ramis left, producer Mark Johnson hired Dean Parasaw, who came on and uh, basically he had previously worked with Parasaw with Home Fries, which we mentioned last week. That was one of Parasaw's first films. One of the three movies that he'd done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark Johnson was like, I think from the get-go kind of wanted Dean Parasol to come on board, but it was just the whole thing with like Harold Ramis was a bigger name. So the studio went with him first, but then it was like, all right, come on board. So yeah, that's how that all happens. And although it kind of feels like it, Alan actually said that he didn't take any inspiration from William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk, uh, as he was more influenced by Yul Brynner and the Ten Commandments for this whole thing. And he's also a big sci-fi nerd, um, and he wanted to use this film to sort of launch his sci-fi career. And he actually turned down Bicentennial Man. Again, here we go, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. To do this role. Another underrated movie. <laughs> yeah, but good on him, though, because that, that film me cry. was a fucking flop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, did the right, he, avoided, he did the right uh, thing. Mr. Bullet. Yeah, because apparently he had Bicentennial Man and he turned it down to do this, which is crazy to think that like he had that over Robin <laughs> Williams. <laughs> I think he made the better choice. <laughs> Absolutely. Though I, I do actually kind of, I have a soft, soft spot in my heart for Bicentennial Man. It is not a good movie, but it's, I like it. <laughs> it's a tearjerker, bro. <laughs> All right, so next, let's talk about some of the crew that joined Tim Allen in this endeavor. Uh, We have Alan Rickman as Alexander Dane, a.k.a. Dr. Lazarus. Now, this is one thing that I think might have helped a little bit. Like, I know we showed it shortly after Alan Rickman passed away. We showed Galaxy Quest in the cinema. And this, like, his passing, I think, really, like, maybe even gave a little bit more life and cult status to this film because he's absolutely amazing in this film as uh, Alexander Dane. Uh, Alan Rickman was actually drawn to the humor in the script. And he said he was like, he thought it was like he was perfect for the role, you know, because he was a classically trained actor and a member of the Royal Shakespeare company. And it really fits with like the whole thing with his character being like, yeah, he played Richard the third on stage and he was like, I was an actor once. Damn it. (laughs) Like (laughs) I grabbed the hammer. What a saving. (laughs) <laughs> like it's, it's such a good good idea like 
you just see it so often even like with us like we're really we love pro wrestling and it's like mm-hmm. the same thing with even like pro wrestlers you have these like guys who are just huge stars in the 80s and then like they're just still holding on to like their their stardom because like one you got to pay your bills and this is how you pay your bills but also it's just like yeah. it was that one time you were actually like loved for something you know <laughs> it's just like exactly you got your gimmick it. you got to stick to it yeah. even if you've gained 200 pounds <laughs> you gotta put on the red type yeah and go out there and hot dog and throw out <laughs> kid to a like half your age but then you know you you have to go over because you're the star <laughs> okay we know who we're throwing some shade at this week uh that's racist pink hot dog <laughs> oh. man uh, but yeah, Alan Rickman though, it's just, he's so good. It apparently added a lot to the film. Like Sam Rockwell said that he added a lot of the drama to the script with like from their table reads. And that would lead to a lot of like the script revisions, which would like lead to a lot more of the drama that you see in the film, because it is a very funny film, but it's also got a lot of like soft dramatic parts to it. Got a lot of heart. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just so much heart. And Rickman uh, provided input on the prosthetic piece that Dane would use to play Lazarus, saying that it was important for it to be good enough to convince the aliens who believe that we're the real thing, but also cheesy enough to imagine that it was something he applied himself. (laughs) Yeah, by the end of the movie, it's like the hair (laughs) is splitting, it's like coming out, it's barely on its head Uh, anymore. I love the scene um, where they're like eating food in, in that like sort of mess hall sort of thing on the ship. Oh, it's like worms <laughs> yeah. and shit. It's like, oh, we created this uh, food for everyone depending on where their home region was. <laughs> uh, and like he gets spider. like, oh, it's like weird yeah. spider thing just like popping out of. <laughs> so gross. So gross. Alan <laughs> Rickman is a great, he's just a great puppeteer. Again, like he said, He's perfect for the role. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, it's weird because at the time I only knew Rickman from a couple of things. So I guess it's a bigger deal for him to do these weird comedies once in a while. But like watching this, I was like, oh, it's the, the dude from Dogma. Yeah. So I was yeah. like used to seeing him do like stuff like that and not taking stuff seriously but also I was like holy shit Hans Gruber from Die Hard <laughs> yeah. in a fucking prosthetic like headpiece which is amazing yeah it's really strange like when you think about Alan Rickman and this next thing that I'm gonna say here's a theme here on the podcast that Rickman didn't get along with Tim Allen at times on set because oh man yeah tim allen was a comedian and a tv actor and he wasn't very serious on set and he was constantly making fart jokes and noises and all sorts of stuff and just kind of distracting everyone and apparently you know that just caused a lot of friction with alan rickman and it's funny because alan rickman sort of i guess took himself really serious and he was a serious actor and uh he did a lot of like serious roles and stuff and they thought it was a big get for them to get this like, you know, this guy who is this amazing dramatic actor to play in this film and play this role, which he was sort of perfect for. But at the same time, like you said, I mean, he was Hans Gruber, though. Like, he's played <laughs> some really stupid roles in his career that, like, it it doesn't, like, I don't know, compute unless if you 
don't know of that side of him. I don't know. But he couldn't sanction uh, Tim Allen's buffoonery or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I can't <laughs> sanction your buffoonery. Whatever the fuck Tommy Lee Jones does. <laughs> yes, but apparently they did actually become close friends as filming went on uh, and time went on. And uh, yeah, it wasn't like Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones after all. So, well, yeah, you, you said the catchphrase by Grabthar's Hammer. <laughs> Uh, apparently that was written as a temporary line in Gordon's script, but Gordon, he had planned to replace Grabthar with something else and something less comical, but the line just kind of stuck as the production crew started to use it around their offices and they started printing, <laughs> printing it on t-shirts and stuff. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. No, it's perfect. They have to keep it. We mentioned that Tim Allen was a bit of a, a clown on set. Makes sense. I mean, come on you know anything about tim allen and someone who helped calm him down uh and get him you know a little bit more serious at times um when they needed to film was sigourney weaver and it's gwen demarco and holy shit another amazing gift yeah, like the ultimate the original like space heroine yeah she played gwen demarco aka lieutenant tony madison uh weaver loved the script from the first reading she said that it was like that great sort of Wizard of Oz story of these people feeling so inc- incomplete in the beginning. And then during the course of the adventure, they come out like they were the heroes they pretended to be in the first place. I love it. But she almost didn't get the role because the studio wanted to go with someone who was new to sci-fi. And with her experience in the Alien franchise, they were really against her. Which is fucking crazy. Crazy <laughs> movie producer don't know what the fuck they're talking. About. <laughs> yeah. She basically had to fight for the role, stating that she felt really connected to the character as a female in Hollywood, and that it was like more her than Ellen Ripley could ever be. And eventually, she like lobbied with Dean Parasol, who just ended up bringing her on. And thank God he did, because she's like stupidly funny in this movie. It's like. It's so she's good. So funny. She has some of the best material to work with, I think. Like where she's constantly calling out like how stupidly written and poor like stupid stupid and poorly written that the show was and her character was <laughs> in the show. Which is really good. I mean, like her whole thing with like the computer and it like she's the only one that the computer, computer like computer can, you know, talk to or whatever. And Tim Allen tries to talk to yeah. the computer and it never listens, and then she like repeats what he says. And then she has to repeat back to him and he just gets so pissed off. She's just like, hey, this is my one role in this stupid show and I'm going to do it. <laughs> so good. It's so fucking funny. Yeah. And there's also that scene where, which I didn't know this until I was watching the documentary. So apparently the film was going to be a lot more PG-13 in it. Like there was a lot more cussing in it and stuff. And the studio really wanted them to go for like a G or a PG because they were like, this is the next big kids mm-hmm. film. And uh yeah, so they like cut out a lot of the cussing that was in the film. And apparently there's that scene where she's like, you know, running around the corner and she sees like all the crazy, like, I don't like what is this this room that's just like all the shit just like coming out of the wall. It's like a death trap, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she says in in the original version, fuck this. But they just replaced it with screw this. They dubbed it over, but they didn't change her mouth movement. And I never noticed it. You can still like, see it. But yeah, you can still see it. It's really funny. So check that out next time you watch a film. That's like my biggest takeaway from the documentary. It's like 
oh, I didn't know. I didn't. Now it makes sense. <laughs> like, obviously, that's the kind of movie they were going for. Yeah. That they sh- actually totally should have been more cutting and of like clearly like a grown up picture, but it plays like a kid's film. I don't know. It's just great. Yeah. It's sort of caught in limbo because of that. Release the uh, director's cut. Come on. Let's do it. Release the parasol <laughs> cut. <laughs> the parasol cut. <laughs> Release the fuck this cut. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next we have Tony Shaloub, aka Monk. Monk, Monk, bitch. Fred Juan, <laughs> aka Te- Tech Sergeant Chin. So apparently Shaloub and Pariso worked together to develop the Quan character, loosely basing him off of David Carradine, who was a non-Asian in an Asian role in the Kung Fu television series. Kung Fu. <laughs> And there was also the urban legend that Carradine was like frequently, frequently under the influence of drugs while doing the show. So this is why Tony Shalhoub, even though he didn't directly portray the character as a stoner because they made it clearly the PG film. But yeah, he was subtly just, yeah. He's so not fazed by anything that's happening. Weird. I kind of like forgot like his, you know, later in the film, I knew there was a moment where it was revealed that he was actually the baddie. Like, I knew, yeah, yeah, I remembered yeah. it coming. But for some reason, like, I thought, I didn't really think about when I was watching it that he's, you know, he was just the stoner guy. When I was watching <laughs> it, I was just like, he's so weird. Like, what's going on? And then I was just like, oh, yeah, he does, like, reveal to be, like, the baddie at one point. And this is just like him being this alien who can't really compute like in their language and stuff. So he's like just going to mm-hmm. eventually. But that's not what happened. <laughs> it was just like in one that's scene. That's just who he is. It was just in one scene later where the alien, the baddie Sarah said actually like <laughs> pretended to be him. But yeah, yeah it's weird how my mind it, did that because I was like, why is he so <laughs> he's so because again, they never explain it. He's it's like so they they. They all get teleported to the fucking ship, and Tim yeah. Allen's already there, and they're all like shaking, yeah. and freaking out because it's, it's <laughs> quite an overwhelming sight to be blasted through space like that. Yeah, and then Tony Shalhoub just like steps off the pad, and he's just like, "Oh, hey, man, he's like you're right." <laughs> it's okay. And he's like, "What's up with these guys?" And Sam Marco just yelling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's eating like constantly eating. Yeah, and, and that he, was I think just because and, he was supposed to be a stoner, so. <laughs> Yeah. And end up with a wife somehow. Yeah. It just, <laughs> it's just great, honestly. Every character yeah. gets something. Each yeah. one is like so memorable for their own reason. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Tony Shalhoub's great in this. And apparently he actually went out for the role of Guy Fliegman, a.k.a. Crewman number six, uh, before <laughs> that went to Sam Rockwell. Uh, Sam Rockwell actually said that he didn't really want to do this role at first. And it took a lot of convincing. And then he realized that the film would come out around the same time as the Green Mile. And he thought this would be a good time to like showcase his range. So he was like, okay, fine, I'll do oh it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not Rockwell off the shit in this. This was yeah. like me catching on to like, oh my God, Sam Rockwell, it, or it's like the best thing in everything he's in, even if Absolutely. it's like a small role. He's so good. And he's like, just, like this so coming funny. out the same year at Green Mile. You're mm-hmm. like, holy shit, how is it the same guy? It's like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal doing Donnie Darko and Bubble Boy in the same year. You're <laughs> yeah. like, the range on this boy is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but he's a, I love, I love him in that he's 
character's so great at just like the red shirt basically the guy who gets killed in one episode and it's like riding the coattails of the whole show like keeps yeah. showing up to conventions with his own headshot and stuff yeah yeah it's so good that becomes such a joke throughout the film as well like there's even this one part where like sigourney weaver is just sort of like oh we gotta get out of here or else guys gonna get killed <laughs> 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 and he's like we're gonna do the plan from this episode and he's like I would kill the another episode <laughs> he quit the last time we showed this movie he Sam Rockwell showed up yeah kind of, he did didn't he I thought I remember that yeah me um, while well, I was there I didn't serve him but I was behind the counter um, and I spoke to him a little bit because he was like oh what's on and uh, I forget, I mentioned oh, Buckaroo Band Night. We were showing Buckaroo yeah. Band Night. He went and to he see like, that, didn't Oh, he? yeah, man. Yeah, he's yeah. like, yeah, man, I'll go watch Buckaroo Band Night. That sounds cool. And I think Natalie would work. And she was like, well, also showing Galaxy Quest. And he laughed it off. And he's like, really? How's that doing? Like, the big turnout. Um, but he was fucking cool. He had, like, just won an Oscar. <laughs> he yeah. had just won for, like, three billboards. And yeah. then he would call. And then he literally just hung out in the bar area until... He just came. I think he had some time to kill and he just showed nice. up and watched it. Yeah, I mean, he's appeared a few times at the cinema. I remember once Paul told this crazy story about like Edgar Wright just hitting him up and like was like, oh, I got like uh, some people you're never going to believe who's here. And then it was just like Aziz Ansari, Sam Rockwell, <laughs> like someone else. Like it was just this crazy crew of people who just showed up to watch Alien one night. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, alien the here's fan. another crossover but yeah uh yeah i mean <laughs> sam rockwell is like cool as shit and he's so funny in this film he's just like i don't know i love sam rockwell and the green mile like was i mean the the film that really opened my eyes up to him i mean and that was early in his career that's just like holy shit this guy is someone to watch he's so good in that film and he's so good in this film uh he fashioned the fleekman after cowardly characters from other films such as john Turturro's. Bernie in Miller's Crossing, uh, Bill Paxton's <laughs> Private Hudson in Aliens. Here we go, another alien thing. Nice. And Michael Keaton's Blaze in Night Shift. And he also drank a lot of coffee nice. before certain scenes to help to create the overexcitement and jitters associated with his character. I love it. Yeah. And last of the crew, the main crew, we have Daryl Mitchell as Tommy Weber, aka Lieutenant Laredo. <laughs> so good he's like a kid yeah he's he's so young and he dean parasol worked with him on home fries and they really wanted him in the film because he just thought he was so hilarious so in order to make it work because this is a tv series that's set in the 80s basically that is supposed to be like in the 90s now like late 90s and when the story's taking Mm -hmm. place to make it work they had to make his character a child in the tv series and Such a great idea. that was played by Corbin Blue, who <laughs> would go on to become a big star in Disney's Disney's High School Musical series. <laughs> so Jesus, man, I never knew that, that was together. Corbin Blue. Even when I watched it the other night, I was just like, or the other day, I was just like, oh, wow, that doesn't, that, yeah. that doesn't look like Corbin Blue. <laughs> I didn't see it initially. I mean, to be honest, there's some good casting because he does look a lot like Daryl Mitchell. If you can imagine Daryl Mitchell. A young Daryl Mitchell. But yeah, he's really funny. Like, he's really, he's really so funny. And it hit one of my favorite bits is when he breaks an arm and he's just screaming yeah. as they carry him away. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so funny, man. 
All right. Well, next we got the Thermians. I mean, the Termites, the Thermians, Termites, whatever they are. Thermians. Um, this is like Cameo City, the Thermians. Yeah, I'm this like, is wild. Oh, it's that guy. Oh, yeah. it's that guy. So we had uh, the main one was Enrico Calantoni as Mathazar. And we find out in the documentary that he basically created the characters as you know them based <laughs> off of his audition. Yeah. He goes to his audition and when he's initially doing it with Dean Parasol, he just like kind of bombed it and he was just getting up to leave and he had this sort of look on his face and Parasol was like, oh, what's up? And he was just like, you know, initially I had a voice that I wanted to do and he just ended up doing the voice that you see in the film and it turned out to be just like perfect and they were like, dude, yes, this is what we want. And they used his audition tape and showed it, which is a really untraditional thing to do to all the other people who are going out for the roles to sort of craft them into what they wanted for the characters. And that's just, this is how like these Thermians became such like weird, iconic characters. Do it like this. Yeah. They're <laughs> really weird. They're not like, again, like every time in the show we meet alien, they're always human for some reason, like yeah. humanoid people. Like why would they look like us? This makes sense. They're like, it's like a, uh, a clone, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like a projection thing. They yeah. don't actually look like that. They're like actually like octopus type creatures. <laughs> yeah. And but like they're they're obviously so uncomfortable in the like bodies. Yeah. And they started to walk weird, they talk <laughs> weird, some can't even talk. Yeah. Like it's just it's a and the hair is weird. Everything about it is alien. Yeah. But while you can still but while still being played by people. Yeah, absolutely. It's just really well done. Yeah, it was really funny, like hearing about how they crafted that whole thing with them walking like marionettes and stuff. Like, just one of the guys started doing it, and he based it off this old TV show and stuff. And then the next thing you know, they were just like forcing everyone to just walk that way. <laughs> they look, it looks like it's like uh, they walk like a Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, do. Just, like, <laughs> yeah, just like Mark like Zuckerberg, C-3PO, is a like very alien. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. Much so. Uh, so some of the Hot other tech. Thermians that are in the film are Missy Pyle, who is in a lot of fucking things. Yeah. Uh, and she plays Lalari or Laliari. La I'm not really sure how to pronounce her name. But Spielberg, who is one of the uh, co-founders of DreamWorks, apparently really liked Missy Pyle when he saw her audition and suggested her role to be like expanded, which led to the whole romantic subplot with Tony Shalhoub. So <laughs> thank Spielberg for that. <laughs> genius but Spielberg initially wanted to make her like 15 <laughs> <laughs> that was a side note from uh, George Lucas he's just like uh, um, you know, it only works if uh, you know she's 15 you know <laughs> 16 you know 16. nobody cares 16 16 maybe he's like 25 and maybe he's like 25 <laughs> Maybe she's not even human, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Ew. Yeah, so also you had Patrick Breen, Jed Reese, and a young Rain Wilson as more of the Thermians that appear in the film. Yeah, this is like Rain Wilson's first role, and apparently he was going to have a much bigger role in the film as well, too, but they had to cut him down because he had to go off and do some other... I think it was like some 
TV pilot that apparently bombed and never made it. <laughs> he could have had a bigger role. In the yeah, because I was like, this is too early for The Office. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to have, it's not going to be that. Yeah, it wasn't The Office. Um, but yeah, so next there's The Fan. And this is kind of rounding out the cast here. So, although it's kind of suggested in the documentary that uh, the Thermians themselves are the fans, but another big interesting thing that they did with this film was portray an actual fan. And it's sort of like how you get the fan right. I thought of this character, it's played by Justin mm-hmm. Long as Brandon. It's his yeah. first film role, and he has a few other friends and stuff. And it really reminded me of a film from the year after, I think, uh, called Ready to Rumble, which we talked about on the very first <laughs> episode of this podcast. God. And uh, there's there's a the fan that they meet up with who is the, not fake. <laughs> is the exact like way to not do a film like a character about a fan of a certain thing. It's the exact opposite of what you should do. If you want to find the perfect way to do it, it's this film with Justin Long as Brandon. It's such a good idea of creating this fan for universe that just loves everything. And he's like, at first not taken serious. He kind of gets made fun of a little bit or or like not really made fun of. He's, He's talked down to by, uh, Tim Allen's mm-hmm. character because Tim Allen's character overhears other people making fun of him and his colleagues and the whole convention and everything and it gets him really down which makes him act really short with Justin Long's character yeah you know I hate that bit I hate that sorry side note I hate that bit in the movie because it's like he's going for a piss or whatever and these two guys are just there openly mocking him. It's yeah. like, oh, these guys are such looted. And it's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. You guys paid <laughs> to get into the convention. What, to make fun of all these people? You guys are looted. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, but that is so Sorry. real, though. <laughs> it is so real. Yeah, no, definitely. Because, like, they might not even have paid. They might have been working there at the convention center. They might have gotten free tickets or something. Who knows? Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. But I feel like I've seen that sort of going on at a wrestling show before like it that scene yeah, when like, he goes into the, the toilet to boo us? literally reminded me of going to like one of those wrestling shows over at uh the your call <laughs> and like going into those shitty like toilets and then you just see one of the wrestlers that are on the show like in there <laughs> yeah there with you like in his spandex and stuff and then you just it's like the same thing with tim allen like walks in and he's like the big star, and there's just all these like random people just in there taking a piss. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it's so humbling. Yeah, I guess. yeah. It's just like this is how far you've sunk. <laughs> yeah, very reminiscent of like wrestling shows. I mean, could I've been to a bunch of house shows and there's always a moment like that. Like I remember going to like a SmackDown house show yeah. and like waiting in line and Nunzio <laughs> fucking jumped the barriers, <laughs> like grabbed my shoulder and he's like, oh, sorry, man. Like and jumped the barriers, went past it and like just ran out, like probably off to get some lunch or some shit, yeah. like in the middle of the day. <laughs> Same with like, I remember being in Jersey for a TNA house show. Yeah. And like it was Anbury Park and me and my brother had time to kill and we were walking just we were just walking around and like randomly fucking aj style just walking, fast, <laughs> just walking down the boardwalk yeah and we were like 
oh my god, AJ's done. And he was just like, what's up, guys? Yeah. And like, but just like put headphones back on and walked off. And I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> like in an hour, we're going to be sat like watching you yeah. fall on your ass <laughs> for our entertainment. It's so weird. Yeah. That's very much the vibe that this sort of, that whole scene had. And yeah, so it leads to Justin Long's character kind of, in the end, becoming the big hero who helps helps him out because he has the communicator and and uh, he's able to talk to him and he helps him with the, all the schematics and everything. I mean, this film like is literally ahead of its time as well because of the whole internet sort of thing where they're like, they all yeah. have webcams and stuff and it's 1999. I mean, that shit was not happening back then, but uh, <laughs> at least not to the degree no, I it love, is now. Uh, but. I always forget that, that this is the part of this movie. Mm-hmm. I would forget the whole subplot with Justin Long and his friend and the communicator getting mixed up and him having all the episode guides and all the schematics and loving the show yeah. and being a big part of how they succeed in the end. And But yeah, you're right. Like I appreciate them doing it because then it's not just the film. It's not just about like this show, the kind of show, but the fan and the culture yeah. and the impact around them, why these shows are important to people. Mm-hmm. And it does, yeah. You like they do it right because they get to do both. They get they get they have their fun. They poke fun at at the actors and the fan. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're both important, and they both love the thing. Like that's not a bad thing. It's not anything you should disparage someone for. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great like sort of love letter to fans because it's like exactly. It's just, they're the people who make these things. And it's the reason why things like Star Trek survived, like, and became what it still. was. And it still is just such a popular thing. And even so that like Dean Parasol gave Justin long, a copy of Trekkies to prepare for his role, <laughs> like, which is an amazing That's documentary and uh, amazing documentary. Yeah. I mean, and this was Justin long's like first film role as well. And he's like so good in it. Uh, apparently he nearly lost it out to people like Kieran Culkin and also our boy, Tom Everett Scott went out for the role. And he did. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Justin long mentioned that he ripped off the likes of Michael J. Fox, like for his sort of like uh, voice breaking thing. And also comic book guy from Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Worst episode ever. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's really good. Um, Justin Long's great in this. It's it's nice to still see him pop up in things like yeah he he makes the film. He's really good. There's like the the scene he's really funny. when he's like he's on the the call with with Tim Allen and he's supposed to be helping him out like with like because they get to that room and they they press the button to help turn off like the Genesis the, yeah the thing, Genesis yeah. thing and. And uh, yeah, like he doesn't get a response back. He's like, because the the number keeps going down, like the um the clock. Even though they press the button, the the clock keeps going back. Yeah. And he's just like, oh oh god, Brandon, Brandon, where are you? And then like Brandon just to see oh, mom. running out, throwing the fucking <laughs> trash in the in the bins. Yeah, and dude, his mom as well. Did you clock who she was? No, dude, she is uh. Played by Heidi Swedberg, who is Georgia's girlfriend turned fiance, Susan Ross, that he accidentally kills. <laughs> Another Seinfeld reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah now I'm looking at her now. Yeah. Now I recognize that. That's really. When funny. I saw it, I was like, it was the voice immediately that 
that like because her hair is shorter and stuff and it was the voice she didn't initially look yeah, like yeah. her but i was like whoa shit that's susan <laughs> yeah it's great really good she's really funny um so yeah the the producers were worried though about the whole thing because there's a lot of star trek sort of nods to this and it's a dreamworks film not paramount so they were worried that paramount might actually sue them uh particularly because of the ship so on the NSEA <laughs> protectors wing which is the name of the ship is the serial number nte3120 and the nte is short for not the enterprise <laughs> and they were like not hey if we get sued we could say hey it's there on the wing it says not the enterprise <laughs> It's not the Enterprise. You literally can't do it. At the end of the film, the show is brought back after 18 years, uh, <laughs> which is also a bit of a nod to Star Trek because I think apparently Star Trek like had an 18 year gap between its like show and then like and then the Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. Next I generation, mean, and that's, yeah. And that very again, uh, prescient could now everything get rebooted and shit. Like we were talking about last week, like a show like Galaxy Quest would totally get a reboot. Yeah. Especially if those actors did, um, you know, go to <laughs> yeah. So some of the fans of the film though, have hypothesized that this new run of the show that is seen in the film is no longer a show within a show, but a reality show. After finding out that it's all real, the government or the filmmakers realize the potential. Uh, If they send the old actors on an actual adventure in space, the crew would be getting work once again, and the Thermians would be thrilled, and Earth could explore the universe. (laughs) Not to mention how the Thermians have created the ship uh, exactly like the original, and it will save them a lot of money on props and CGI. (laughs) Exactly. How you would never get insurance for a show like that? How would you film <laughs> yeah. it? Where would you put the camera? It's ridiculous. What a ridiculous promise. I mean, yeah, great. It's a great, but great no. theory. What? But what? A what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, oh man, the lighting is horrible out here. Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> there is literally no light. It's like how many <laughs> or air? How many cameramen <laughs> are just like murdered by like some alien? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you see it. He fucking fights like rock monsters <laughs> yeah. and shit. And it's just like you have to figure it out every time. <laughs> yeah. uh, so apparently they actually set up an intentionally bad website for the film. It had this like really horrible design <laughs> and it was like really colorful, like a total 90s, uh, early 2000s website, like Fan page. really horrible. Yeah. And uh, it had all these interviews with the cast and then genuine descriptions of episodes and this episode guide. And it even had like an obsessive fan named Travis Lackey who was supposed to be the webmaster <laughs> and they would have all these updates from him and stuff. <laughs> it's a great idea. That's really good. And uh, we mentioned the Never Surrender documentary, like I said, we would quite a few times through this so far. Um, but prior to the release of the movie in 1999, the E! Channel featured a mockumentary entitled Galaxy Quest 20th Anniversary, The Journey Continues. And this was a documentary that was presented in the same style as the real life ones um, on the making of Star Trek, featuring fake interviews with the series cast, uh, which was portrayed by the actual film's actors and interviews with super fans called Questarians and also critics. (laughs) So explored how Galaxy Quest became America's number one science fiction cult classic, as well as elaborating on the actors fictional backgrounds 
and how they ended up on the show. And it sounds a lot like this whole thing with Truman Show that we mentioned like a few weeks back. You know, I'd about to say, yeah, this weird meta yeah. documentary where everybody's still <laughs> yeah. in on it. And you can find this on YouTube, much like the Truman Show thing. It's out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's very meta. The whole thing is meta. The whole idea of this whole film is so meta. Like just the whole thing of fans and like this weird TV series and this weird alien thing. That it's just I don't know. The whole thing is one of the most meta ideas. <laughs> <laughs> So we mentioned this alien warlord, General Saris. Uh, Saris is actually named for film critic Andrew Saris. And this was a dig at Saris after he had publicly disliked producer Mark Johnson's 1984 film, The Natural, which is great, uh, directed by Barry Levison and it stars Robert Redford the, as a baseball player. Yeah. That the Redford baseball yeah. movie. Awesome movie. movie. But this guy apparently disliked it. So this whole alien warlord <laughs> was just a dig at him. <laughs> filmmaking is so fucking petty it's like uh i think it's transformers or something like yeah. that it's like a it's a michael bay movie or one of those like big disaster movies roland emmerich movie yeah. where like they named the idiot president advisors like Roger and Eber, <laughs> like Fickle and Eber, like Gene and Roger, yeah. they basically named him after the critic who hated the older movie. And it's just like, oh my God, like I get it, it's kind of funny, but yeah. it's just, let it yeah, go. let it go. Dude. I mean, literally turned him into a monster. Suck, by the way. So, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just that was my hot that take there. that I'm going to get lambasted you live with for, it. like whatever film it was that I don't even know what it was, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get shit for it, but whatever. They <laughs> uh, yeah, this was an interesting thing. I did not notice this. I noticed the... All right, so the film starts in 4.3, like TV pan and scan. And that's for the intro yeah. with the TV show. Now, I noticed this. But in theaters, the first 20 minutes of the film are presented in 1.85, so widescreen aspect ratio. And it changes to the wider 2.35 cinemascope ratio. When Nes- Nesmith is looking out in space, like as a protector arrives at Thermia, oh, cool. it just widens out. Like it's like the doors open and then you just see it. It just goes. But I never noticed it. And I've never apparently noticed the rest of the film is like that. And then you, like it's so subtle. Go back now. It's really clever. But it apparently causes a lot of problems with projectionists at movie theaters around the world. When the film first came out, because the curtains would be set like you shocked Jamie about yeah, this. Yeah, I'm really curious. I want to ask like our projectionists if they've been showing it at two, three, five. I don't know because like basically what mm-hmm. had been happening was that like the projectionists will be starting the film at one eight five, and the curtains would be like closed, you know, masked out to that point, and then the film would mm-hmm. expand out to two, three, five. And then like the sides of the film would be on the curtains over the curtain <laughs> when it should have been in two, three, five the whole time. Yeah. Cause you're not going to have marking that constantly adjusting. Yeah. You have to set it to yeah, what it is. It if it one. changes halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really That's interesting. Weird. Apparently projectionists later were told with notes that were coming with like the canisters that like, Hey, set it to two, three, five and it'll work. But the some Stanley Kubrick yeah. shit. Or, or f- <laughs> 2001 you gotta show it this way <laughs> yeah eight minutes of overture as soon as he you know gets on the the ship yeah I mean we were definitely showing this film 
from 35 millimeter because I like remember vividly going into the box like uh, the last time it showed and getting a quick little clip of it going through the projector. And I, I managed to catch the scene of him saying, like, uh, never give up, never surrender. And it was just like, yeah. And he's rocking the great mullet. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. man, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was like Tim Allen's hair. Tim Allen and a mullet. How yeah. could you not? That was his How hair. How can you not love this movie? <laughs> Tim Allen and a mullet. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's like when you see those 80s, yeah. Like, you know, have you ever seen pictures of Tim Allen in the 80s when he was like a, a drug trafficker? Yeah. And there's like mugshots of him and he got like long hair and a thick tash. <laughs> like fucking Magnum PI. Yeah. It's great. Well, the film score was done by David Newman. It's a really awesome score. It like fits the film perfectly. I mean, it's just like a mm. classic sort of like adventure score. But you mentioned that he originally, uh, originally, previously had done like a joke score for the producers. Like he did two scores, and he did this score that was more of a joke that was supposed to sound a little bit more like the original Star Trek theme, but like a funny version of it, <laughs> which they thought was hilarious. But then yeah. he showed them his second score, and that's the score that ended up in the film. The film overall was a financial success. It grossed over ninety million dollars off of a forty million dollar budget. But it wasn't really looking like it was going to be this massive hit. Um, when it initially mm. came out, it was, I don't know if it was down to like the way they were like studios involvement was trying to make it more kid friendly and the way they were like pushing it out. Like it's this like kids movie, um, which I kind of remember it being pushed that way. I don't know. Like I saw it in cinemas and I was like 10 years old when it came out. So, I mean, that's what the way I kind of like remember it. It was like. Mm-hmm. for a young audience so it's interesting to see like this documentary when they were talking about that like how it like really didn't catch on until critics started to talk about how much they loved the film and how like the actors are really good it was really smart tim allen was actually amazing in it like uh alan rickman's amazing sigourney <laughs> weaver's amazing and it was really funny like and that really helped to get a lot of people out to go see it in the cinemas uh, just knowing that it was meant to be a good movie. And it's often heralded as this great comedy, but it's where it's like it found its cult status from the fans of sci-fi series like Star Trek because they embraced it as this affectionate parody where it didn't poke fun at fans. It actually embraced fans and the fans in the end are, are the heroes. Like I said, like the Thermians are kind of weirdly fans in a weird sort of meta way. But then also you have like Justin Long's character who helps save the day and stuff. And that like really, you know, just is ahead of his time because today, like, I don't know, like nerds, like they've taken over and mainstream. they are mainstream, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. And you can really see how deep this fandom goes in the documentary Never Surrender. It's like, it's pretty insane. Like I had no clue that this film was such a cult film really even more so than like like i said earlier when it was shown at the cinema i had no clue that it was like this popular that so many people wanted to come see it and i was like oh wow people like this movie and then watching this documentary it's like whoa people like dress up (laughs) like the characters and like basically live their life it became its own yeah, it's insane. Of, yeah, fan based and culture. It's a fictional show, though. Yeah. It's really weird. Which is meta. Like, it's so meta. <laughs> like, 
it's so meta it's really funny that's meta bro uh it's so meta heavy is meta. metal <laughs> heavy meta <laughs> <laughs> the heavy meta bro <laughs> yeah but that's it though i mean that's basically what i have here phil what's your final thoughts on this film where can people find you and uh what are you doing <laughs> streamlined oh man that's a big streamlined. question streamlined streamlined um final thought I mean, the allocate question's great. Like, it's hard to put that across in this episode. Um, but it's really funny. For people who have seen it, they know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it's such, it's such like a weird, it's not what you expect. It's a weird, really interesting, funny, original movie. Yeah. That I like. It's one of my favorite. I don't know. I was Googling it trying to figure out i know people have picked up on this i don't know if there's a name for this kind of story if it's a genre but you know that this uh this the story of like you know actors who play a role who get mistaken for the characters they play and then have to actually do be those characters in real yeah. life to save a group of people like it's been done several times. Um, Bugs Life. Uh, My name is Bruce. With you know the Evil Dead. Thing. Yeah. Um, but the best uh, Three Amigos is probably <laughs> the best example. Three Amigos was Galaxy Quest before Galaxy Quest, essentially, but with cowboy movies instead of sci-fi shows. Um, and Galaxy Quest is such a good. I just I love that story. I think it's great. Just like you know, growing into the person you can become. I think it's a great arc and that's a great way to frame it. Galaxy Quest is probably the best version of that. It's just funny and unique and, yeah, so affectionate. A parody, but, like, a loving mm-hmm. one. So, like, I'm into all this sort of stuff. I like Star Wars. If you, if, obviously, if you fucking listen to the podcast, you know that. I'm into this sort of culture. And even shows like this, like I like sort of obscure AE sci-fi shows. Like if this was about Quantum Leap, I would be fucking all all in on it, you know? Like I I get it. I'm I get that sort of world. Um, it's just great. Like if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's kind of cult. Yeah. It's like a cult classic, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I hope we show it again sometime because I didn't. I haven't seen it at the cinema. Never seen it in the cinema, like most movies, because I'm a little boy <laughs> who watches everything on video, DVD. I don't go out no more. Years later. Um, years later. Ten years later. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's my final thought. Character question. A, a good one. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm lifting a finger. A good one. It's like Kenny Omega. Um, exactly. <laughs> like Sabu, you know? Um, you know, find me at the usual spot. Um, you know, right now I'm just dabbing on my bed. So just imagine that if you're, if you ever sat there wondering, I wonder what Phil's doing. Probably that. Yeah. I mean, um, we still got a couple weeks before <laughs> cinema opens, so Phil's got nothing better to do except for dab. I'd literally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, far away Thad on Twitter. Dog and I met on the Instagram. Um, you know, uh, desperately searching for a purpose at 
you know, in real life at home um, <laughs> or, you know, or, you know, yelling at boy because he won't stop barking at other dogs. Oh, boy. Um, that's me. That's my life. Um, great. How about you? Final thought. Do, do you like Galaxy Quest? Yeah, man. Galaxy Quest <laughs> is fun. You said it. You said it really well, though. I mean, it's a great film. It's really fun. Uh, it's a good, like, like I said earlier, like a love letter to, to fandom and like uh, series like these, like and how fans have made them what they are, and it's it's just really fun. Like the characters are great. Tim Allen's really fun in it. Uh, he's underrated in my opinion as an actor. Um, yeah, for sure. Again, like oh yeah, like a little thing I kind of forgot to write in here. I mean, like you know, Alan Rickman passed away. So they were like going to possibly bring the film back or like either a sequel or, or TV series. And that kind of got canned a bit because do the show, just do the actual show. Yeah. Alan Rickman passed away, unfortunately, but I mean, apparently it might still be in works. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like on the table, but you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a great cast, like all around from top to bottom. It's so fun. It's a really funny movie. Like, like really funny, like just really good humor in it. Really smart. There's a few bits that are a bit dumb, but they like really kind of, uh, call it out a bit. Like, I think it was just the way the studio was kind of like had its hands in the pot a bit. Um, and you know, that happens Mm -hmm. par for the course with films and, big studios but anyway it's a good film like phil said go see it if you've not seen it watch the documentary if you've not seen that if you like the film or if you just like documentaries it's a great documentary just about fans and stuff as well which is like i think always really interesting and entertaining um anyway mm. as always you can find me at tall for all t-a-l-l the number four a-l-l on twitter instagram and facebook uh like i said my little gig that i'm doing this weekend uh that's already happened if you're listening to this now um is available over at hotbox live like on i don't know facebook and youtube you can find it hotbox live events uh yeah anyway if you want to check that out as always you can hit us up at the pcc podcast on twitter and instagram or you can send an email at podcast at prince or if you want to support the podcast Hey, head over to patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast for $5 or more a month. You get bonus episodes. We're going to be doing some fun stuff. Like for instance, Phil mentioned Star Wars. Someone paid for us to talk about the Ewoks and we still haven't done it yet. So that's on its way sometime oh, soon. <laughs> and uh, also we're doing a Fast and Furious series over there, plus other f- films that are just like random fun stuff. So Head over to patreon.com forward slash PCC podcast. You can support us, help us do things that we like to do, talk about films, and uh, yeah, it keeps us going. But anyway, we love you guys. Thanks so much for, uh, you know, joining us for this adventure into outer space. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And, uh, ooh, so that's that's it. So, um, let's ap- I hope yeah, that was let's enough. Let's see if uh, that yeah. appeased the Saris guy. Um, uh, Man, mangrove, math, 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 mangrove, mathazar, mathazar. Uh, hey, buddy, how are things going? <laughs> oh, yikes! Yikes! Oh, all right. Oh. Oh.
let's just... get out of here. <laughs>